Welcome back, everybody, to another episode of About to Review. I'm your host, that guy named John, and I'm joined today via Skype with one of my buddies, Ryan. Hello, Ryan. Hey, John. A long-time listener, first-time caller. I hope this is cool. <laughs> uh, no, it is not cool, and the episode okay. is over. <laughs> oh, okay. Well, I guess we'll see you. That was fun. But... Yeah, yeah, good times. And on this episode... No, just kidding. So, when Ryan and I were talking, first, uh, kind of who Ryan is is uh he is a journalist for what i think my grandpa used to call a newspaper news is that what that is there's actually three syllables yeah you you got it Mm -hmm. newspaper Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. huh all right i mean it sounds like you basically take the internet and put it on paper right is that how that works yeah you basically got it right yeah you you essentially you take free pulp and you mash it in these these little sheets and you Mm -hmm. take uniform symbols and hmm. put them on there and they actually string these things together called sentences and weird and you get stories yeah and you They're put em- and you put emojis and and hashtags on this newspaper we're working on that oh good because i mean how are how are millennials going to understand what it is without those well you know i try to spell great with the number eight and- of course you know, your is you are, and you know as much as I can. It, it doesn't make it past the copy desk very often, but I, I try. Fair enough. You are doing your due diligence. <laughs> Excellent. Okay, so the topic for today. So Ryan had this great idea to do book to movie adaptations because that is one of the things that you have a passion for. Correct? Yeah, it's it's something that I'm kind of a. a geek about actually not kind of a, a big shocking geek about. <laughs> <laughs> oh, no? i said shocking that you are oh, no, a big crazy. geek um and i'm not really sure where this began but uh well i love to read uh, first of all I, I read constantly um and i i read a pretty pretty broad uh, selection of uh, genres mm-hmm. but but uh i know when i when i really love a book um Nine out of ten times, if I really love a book, I could see it being a movie. Basically. Okay, yeah. So if I really love the story, if I really love the characters, um, I almost... It's kind of like this automatic impulse now where I will start assigning roles in my head, you mm-hmm. know? Like start casting, oh, you know, Liam Neeson would be great as As guy. anyone. Continue. Yeah, well, <laughs> number one. <laughs> yeah. Or... Uh, you know, just I start assigning actor roles, and then I start. You know, I it sometimes I go down pretty deep wells, and I start thinking, oh, you know, uh, Trent Reznor could do the soundtrack, or mm. Hans Zimmer could do the soundtrack. Uh, you know, Chris Nolan would be an awesome director for this. You know, again, if anything, uh, right? And, of course, or, <laughs> I like that. I like how you give the indie guys a chance. You know, you want to you want to start low with your your ideas. You know, right. those little guys like Christopher Nolan and Trent Reznor yeah. and Hans Zimmer and Liam Neeson. I, 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 go, I go straight for Yeah, exactly. No, but it's um, basically when, when I really love a story um, in a book, I can I can typically see it visually. Okay. And I think that's I think that's ultimately where this comes from. Um, this recently most recently happened with uh, I just finished uh, Ready Player One. Oh, yeah. Uh, She's been out for a while. It's 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 a huge. Uh, I mean, it's it's basically called classic status now. Mm-hmm. Um, but I hadn't read it before, and I, I just finished it. Um, 
and I knew that they were making a movie of it. And I, I did. I, I adored the book, and I can totally see it as a movie. The challenge that they're going to have is this book pays homage to so many nerd franchises. Mm-hmm. Star Trek, Back to the Future, Star Wars, yeah. Dungeons and Dragons. I mean, they, they, they touch on, on everything, all the hot buttons. And to the amount of like licensing and... That is an expensive trademark stuff. <laughs> I just don't know how you do that. I hope that they do it the right way, but um, but I, I, I did really love the story. And so, yeah, I started thinking about, you know, how would this work as a movie? Mm-hmm. Uh, have, have you read the book? I have not. And okay. it is one of, like, my geek sins that I have not read it. Like, so many times that comes up in conversation. They're like, man, I can't wait for this movie, blah, blah. You've read it, right? And I say, no. <laughs> so I <laughs> well, definitely need to. Well, that's another thing. So, and, and sometimes I will see a trailer for a movie. And, you know, the, there will be the text based on the novel by blah, blah, blah. Right. And it looks so good. But I have this thing where I... In order to see a movie adaptation, I have to read the book first. It's just interesting. This, yeah, okay. it's, this, it's this quirk of mine, and I, I don't know why that is. Because if they stay, you know, even somewhat loyal to the book, I'm not going to be very surprised mm-hmm. for most of it. But just this weird little thing that I that uh, I wonder I have if that I wonder if that ties into like the investigative journalism side, where it's like where you know there is something here, and you want to find out the backstory. You want to kind of dig into it even though then you're not going to be really surprised possibly with the movie but you need to know kind of what it is it could be i i think i think that might be part of it but i think maybe the main reason is when i when i am interested in something mm-hmm. i go all in on it yep like, <laughs> like i just got into tabletop gaming recently yeah you like, did I had, like big time and so i you know i started obviously buying games but i also subscribed to podcasts i started reading blogs, um, talking to people, going to game shops. Like, you know, I just, I, I basically dive in because mm-hmm. I want to be, I want to surround myself with people who know what they're talking about um, and people who are passionate about it too because Absolutely. it'll keep the fire going. And it's the same thing here. It's like, you know, I want, when there's a movie that I'm interested in, um, I, I'm the guy that reads up on it. I can't stay away from mm-hmm spoiler sites and all of that stuff. I just, I just dive in because I want to know what I'm getting into. Yeah. Um, I I can respect my friends who choose not to do that. My buddy, Tim, he and I were just talking about this, how excited we are for Luke Cage coming up on Netflix. mm -hmm. And he, I was like, man, every clip they released gets me more excited. And he was like, I've stayed away from all of it. And I was like, man, your willpower is something I do not have. My friend, my friend, Josh is the same way. Um, back before um, Man of Steel came out, mm-hmm. and, and you know that that movie was okay. Um, sure, that there was, sure, it was. <laughs> there, there were there were some that I, there were two good parts in that movie, and the rest was kind of you know mm-hmm. that, that's a discussion for another time. But yes. leading up to it, um, he's a huge Superman fan, and he went completely dark. He stayed. He was able to not. He didn't see a trailer or wow. Any, Holds and it was just you know impressive. That's, that's I have respect for that. I can't do it. Right. Really, when it comes to the book to movie adaptations, I just if, if something looks interesting and it's based on a book, I want to read the book too. Excellent. 
Yeah, and so the some of the criteria that we're going to be talking about, and we're each going to do, Ryan and I are each going to do three movies. A good, a bad, and an ugly, because that is the theme of the rating system of this podcast, which is the best rating system ever invented. So it's pretty good. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you so much. So, and I want to explain before we get into this, just because we rate a movie in this list bad and inevitably ugly does not mean the movie itself is bad or ugly. It means that the adaptation from book to movie is bad, ugly, good, so on. So I want to get that out there just kind of just kind of right away. If you like some of these movies that we call ugly, that is fine. You are wrong, but that is fine. <laughs> so, and just kind of some of the criteria that we will use that Ryan and I were using when we came up with our lists. Now, the movie does not necessarily need to nail everything, but it needs to mirror the tone, it needs to mirror just kind of the pacing, the general overarching message of the book to movie needs to be there. Uh, Casting has to work. Now, when Mm -hmm. it comes to changing genders, changing ethnicities, like, honestly, does not really matter as long as that that, character... That is superficial stuff. Exactly. Like, as long as that character embodies what that character did in the book, who cares? Go for it. We're talking about their spirit as opposed to their appearance. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. And then last and probably most important, as Ryan put it, Honor thy creator. So, again, it does not have to be a mirror replica, but at least respect the source material. Mm-hmm. There are movies that get made, and you are like, how did, this, how did the creator not have anything to do with this? And then you're like, oh, wait, they chose not to. Correct. So they distance themselves. So you got to honor thy creator. Mm-hmm. So... All right, so book-to-movie adaptations, good, bad, and ugly. I'm putting you on the spot. Ryan, right up front, what is your good book-to-movie adaptation? Um, I picked The Exorcist. Ooh, okay. Um, <laughs> this, this movie, had, I have such a history with this movie, mm-hmm. and, and more recently with the book. I first saw it um, when I was a junior in high school. Which is a good age. A lot of people saw this, <laughs> unfortunately, way too well, young. <laughs> well, and, and what happened was, it was the night before, I used to do uh, forensics and debate in high school. Mm-hmm. And it was, the, it was like, you know, you, you do like acting sketches and, oh, yeah. uh, and um, yeah, you know, extemporaneous speaking, stuff like that. Um, and I was going to spend the night at a friend's house on the team. And we went out to a, a restaurant and we got to talking about movies and uh, his dad was there and he said, well, have you guys ever seen The Exorcist? And we said, no, we, you know, we've obviously heard of it. Right. Um, it, it's pretty much a cultural icon, um, and, but we've never seen it. And he said, oh, you guys should you guys should watch it if you want to be scared. And being juniors <laughs> in high school, right. not going to be scared. So we rented it that night mm-hmm. before a meet. <laughs> <laughs> and by the end, I I was overwhelmed by how much that shook me. It, oh, yeah. it, it was it was so. I mean, it, it, it shook me 
in every way. It was so apparent how affected I was. And <laughs> what happened was, so my friend has these, whose house I stayed at has these big bay windows that look out on this. They have this, they had this huge property. Mm-hmm. And his parents, I don't know if they're still living there. But they have this huge property and it looks out into the woods, basically. Oh, great. And, and it was <laughs> so dark by the time we got done with this that you can't see anything. Mm-hmm. You know, they have, they have maybe one of their dim motion lights right. up or something like that. But other than that, you can't see anything. And they didn't have like curtains or anything. And I was going to couch out in their living room. Yeah, no. <laughs> and this is like a junior in high school, like old enough, but to, yeah. to realize that this is fiction, but but still I, w- I was impressionable and everything. I had a vivid ima- imagination. So I basically said to him, so can I sleep in your room with you? <laughs> 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 right <laughs> and he kind of looked at me weird and was like like you pansy like because it did he didn't he wasn't scared at all sure it, he was just didn't. waiting for you to say that you wanted to, to spend the night oh, in his room maybe. because the whole time he was like i'm so scared i really hope ryan says something I really hope <laughs> and maybe but um anyway so he you know i slept on his floor and i was looking and my view was under his bed an open door wow. <laughs> of a dark bathroom that was dimly lit by this nightlight. And I keep thinking to myself, I'm going to see Regan's feet. Mm-hmm. Yep. It's going to come stumbling into the room, head spinning, and I'm, I'm just going to die. It, this is it. You know I mean, it <laughs> this is it. Movie. Chalk it up. Done. <laughs> uh, I love I love everybody. I, I just, I, yeah, th- I, I, th- I thought I was done for. This movie affected me so profoundly. And mm-hmm. I got about two hours of sleep that night. Great. And the next day, we not only had to go to this forensics and debate meet, this forensics and debate meet was held at Columbine High School. Oh, boy. This was, and this was two years after it happened, after the shooting happened. Mm-hmm. And so, your, your speech was about the Catholic Church and philosophy, which was just weird. <laughs> so, uh, I, think I, would, I think I was doing um, extemporaneous speaking, but I don't remember what it was. Anyway, so... I'm going on like two hours of sleep. I'm in this, this high school where this this tragedy mm-hmm. tragedy happened, and and it was just a weird day because of all this. So anyway, I have this very uh, big history with this movie because not only is it really terrifying, mm-hmm. it's also incredibly well made. It's yes. ju- it's just it's it's a monster of a movie that ju- just how they were able to assemble so many scares and so much emotion into, you know, two hours and change. Um, the screenwriter, William Peter Blatty, is also the guy who wrote the novel. Nice. And Talk about so, honor thy creator. So, there you go. Number one. <laughs> so you have help there. Um, and recently I listened to the audiobook of The Exorcist. Nice. And he read it. The author. Perfect. That type of what they call in the biz synergy is yes. incredible. <laughs> it really was. And and I tell you, man, it it um again, it it affected me, but but it was in a very different way. Mm-hmm. Because this book, while it is frightening and very intense and actually incredibly sad in some parts. Uh yeah. Just like the movie. It got me thinking. It just it, it 
really stuck with me. It just it got in my head and made me think about a lot of things about, you know, faith and, and philosophy and religion and purpose and all of these really, really deep things. I mean, it mm-hmm. really got clock ticking just in, in terms of thinking about all of these really important things. And uh, it was and it made me realize just how closely the movie mirrors the book. Nice. Now, there are some sub- some pretty subtle differences, right? Um, but they're very subtle. Like the and the only thing that I could really think of actually was the fact that in the book they um there's a lot more discussion about could Regan's issues mm-hmm. be psychological hmm. as opposed to demonic possession and, until and, the bed starts floating. Even, like, <laughs> even even then, like they're coming up with all these like well justifications and, and, type and, thing, crazy strength and, and stuff. Wow. Like that. Okay. Yeah, um, they have muscu- muscular contractions that are that just exhibit crazy strength, stuff like that. And it feels like they spent a lot more time on that in the book, um, right? As a movie, I'd need to watch the movie again because maybe they do. But other than that, everything feels very. It it, it feels. Like this respectful homage, like mm-hmm. feels it, it feels totally like it honors the book. Of course, it, it would have to with him being involved in the yeah. screenplay too. But it's more than that because the the mood of this movie. I mean, it it is so. Even though it it's it's very horrific and violent and actually mm-hmm. completely sad. Like I said, there's this subtle sense in the book and the movie of, of dread that just hangs over every sentence, every word. Yeesh. And, it, and I think I was glad perhaps that I listened to the audiobook as opposed mm. to reading because I got to experience it tonally. Nice. I got to yep. someone reading it to me and, you know, and, and choosing how they, uh, how they read certain lines of dialogue mm-hmm. and, and, how, how ominous he made his voice in certain parts and stuff like that. And, I mean, it was almost like this this subtle depression. Like, there's just this storm cloud over every scene. And I think that's what makes the book the scariest, actually. The movie is scary for a You're billion. Right. Other- well, because the movie, you have the visuals, whereas with the book, either, you know, audiobook or not, you are in your own head. Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. Um, so, yeah, it... For me, it, it, it translates so well. It, it's it's an incredible book. It's it's an incredible movie. It's still the most frightening thing I think I've ever seen on screen, <laughs> um, bar none. I don't think that there is anything that's close to it, except for uh, Batman vs Superman: Dawn of Justice. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> that's that's a different kind of horror movie, <laughs> right? <laughs> so bad. Um, no, but but I and I really felt like after having listened to it and and it just it it feels like it really does honor the source material um, and that there is just this there's this respect for the story mm-hmm. and there's this respect for these characters there's a respect for the audience which that's huge yeah um, not trying to beat you over the head with certain things everything just clicks. Um, it's an it's an incredible story and and it works in both mediums really well, I think. Excellent. Great choice. So to recap, Ryan's choice for his good, 
was The Exorcist. Fantastic. My choice for a good book-to-movie adaptation. Granted, this, is, this movie will always be in my top three of greatest films of all time. And as a book-to-movie adaptation, it is damn near perfect. The movie is The Princess Bride. Oh, wonderful. Good so, choice. So The Princess Bride, <laughs> Princess Bride came out in 1987. Uh, the book by William Goldman came out in 1973. Now, the fascinating, <coughs> the fascinating thing about this book-to-movie adaptation is this is a book-within-a-book-to-movie adaptation. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, Willi- like early early trial run of, of Inception or something. Pretty much. So, yeah. William Goldman, in the book, in the beginning of the book, talks about how, you know, it was his favorite book when he was a kid. His dad read it to him. It made him an avid reader. The original book was by S. Morgan Stern. And so he wanted to then read the book to his son. Mm. As he was reading the book to his son, his son was getting kind of bored. And he was like, wait, I remember loving this book. Oh, wait, my dad, while reading it to me, took out all of the boring parts. So then he decided to make a book called The Good Parts, A Princess Bride. All of that is made up. Like, that is 100% fiction. <laughs> like, he just wrote the book as it is, but referenced this earlier book. Like, that in, that in and of itself is tremendous. And it's brilliant. And the movie. This movie, and I rarely say this, this movie is perfect. It's there, lovely. Like, it, it, it is lovely. It, yeah. is, it is a wonderful film. Yeah. Like, there is nothing about this movie that I would change. And that, I mean, yeah. So when you talk about book-to-movie adaptations, there are very, very minute differences. At one point in the book, when Inigo and Fezzik go to Miracle Max, you know, to revive Wesley, uh, in the book, they make Miracle Max kind of makes them go on a couple quests, basically to, like, prove that, they should, that he should bring back Wesley. In the movie, they just streamline that, you know? Other than that, there is not much. Like, this is almost identical to the book. And so the book is great. Um, and it, like, again, what, like, so much respect to William Goldman to basically, yeah, pre-inception everyone and getting them thinking that there was an original book by S. Morgan Stern. And then people, while doing the research, were like, wait, th- there is no book. And he was like, I know <laughs> like it was a huge, just gotcha moment. Yeah. How fun. I mean, that I just, to be able to play around and just be so, be so creative and just, you know, why not? Yeah. Why not do it this way? Yep. And this is a movie that I saw for the first time when I was a kid. And unlike a lot of movies that we see when we were younger and then the nostalgia filter kicks in, and we try and watch when we were older, and we were like, this did not hold up. Mm-hmm. Not even joking, I watch Princess Bride maybe six times a year. Uh, they just put it on Netflix like a month ago. I have already watched it twice. Uh, <laughs> I mean, the, the movie in and of itself, I could do an entire episode on The Princess Bride. It has everything. It has everything that you want in a family movie as far as they really do not swear that much. 
you know, the action, the blood is minimal. Mm-hmm. But even as an adult, like watching this movie, it is incredible. Well, it's it's a fairy tale that mm-hmm. that respects the audience. It yes. it doesn't try to be a fairy tale. Just it's just a good story. Mm-hmm. Just a really good story, and it's charming, and the characters are likable and sympathetic, and just the relationship of the boy and his grandfather. Um, yeah. It, it, it's 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 really really it's just a nice movie. Yeah, um, and this is that, a movie that, that you can show to anybody. Really. Ex- yeah, I was just about to say that you can show this to anybody. I will sometimes put it on just in the background, which is when I watched it the other day. I was like, I need to do some cleaning. It is on Netflix. Put it on the background. That lasted about five minutes. Before then, I'm just sitting in front of my iPad in the room that I was supposed to be cleaning, just watching the movie again with this huge grin on my face, because it is just it is a beautiful emotional movie that also has action it has adventure <clears throat> just glorious mm-hmm. yeah it, it in terms of how it comes across tonally mm-hmm. it kind of reminds me of the same feeling i get when i watch um the best pixar movie you know yeah like mm-hmm. like just like one of their best ones like like the original toy story right it's it's just it's such a good story and and, and there's a lot there for adults and for kids mm-hmm. um and and it doesn't really age it it just kind of yep is it, it's a good standby yeah and it is it is one of the most quotable movies yes. of our generation besides like monty python probably right. that one. yeah and like it just not only is it a quotable movie but you can still watch it so many times you have that quotable movie you go back and watch it, and the whole time you're just waiting for those lines while the movie is just kind of happening. This one, at least with me, I am invested every time I watch the movie. Mm-hmm. So, oh, it's, it's, it's good. Great choice. Thank you. I, I appreciate that. I do what I can. Uh, so with Bad, now, now that we're getting into the, the meat of things, uh, do, do you want to go first with your Bad? I, I can do that, sure. If or if you want to, we can switch it up. Or I say I say go for it because I think ugly is going to get real interesting. So you go you go ahead with your bad booked movie adaptation. Okay. Um, for bad, I chose The Mist. Okay. Mm-hmm. This is this Stephen was, King, right? This was this is a Stephen King novella that I adore mm-hmm. and. It was directed, I think it was in 2006 or 2005, one of those, um, by Frank Darabont, who, but for this, has actually been incredible with Stephen King hmm. adaptations. He ad- he did Shawshank Redemption. Amazing. He did The Green Mile. Amazing. Uh, he actually did the pilot for Walking Dead. That's not Stephen King, but... Um, so apparently he is really good at directing Stephen King movies that take place in prison? Is, is that the connection? <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> okay. Pretty much. <laughs> Pretty much. And so, uh, The Mist is 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 a very short Stephen King novel. It, I mean, I it, I would call it a novella. It's like a hundred something pages. Which for Stephen it's, King is sometimes mm-hmm. two chapters. That that yes, it's a quick read, and but um, and it's a simple story, but it's it's also a there's also a lot there. Mm-hmm. Um, ultimately, 
the story is is that there's this uh, group of people who get trapped in a grocery store of some kind because outside there is this mist that basically covers the town. Mm-hmm. Um, and they start talking, and they're, they start to figure out that there is this, um, there's this scientific research group that has this uh, big facility mm-hmm. um, across right. the lake, I think it is, and they conduct all kinds of experiments and stuff like that, and they sort of start to figure out that they tore open a doorway to someplace that they shouldn't have and all mm-hmm. this crazy... As, as scientists do. Yeah, you know, <laughs> all this crazy Lovecraftian stuff came just bursting through, and they're kind of left with having to deal with it. Um, and the book is really, really good in the fact that you really want them to make it. I mean, you mm. really, really want these characters to make it. And I and I couldn't tell you why that is, being that it's so short, so there's not a lot of time for development. Right. But I think one of the key reasons is that the main character, it, it's, a, it's a man and his son. Right, right, uh, right. And he very clearly adores his kid, um, and, and the kid is great, too. And in the movie, they, they sort of they scratched the surface a little bit. They were actually, <laughs> okay. able, to, they were actually able to do pretty well um, showing this relationship between father and son. And the movies was okay. The reason that it's bad is that, that it's a bad adaptation is because of the ending. Okay, so I was going to ask that because I, I've seen the movie. I've not read the book. Is the ending different? Because I remember oh, the ending from... Completely different. Interesting. I mean, everybody who's seen this movie, and I, I, I won't do a spoiler... Uh, go. I mean, it came out of ten years ago. Ten years, Plus, yeah, okay. The book, the book came out before that, so okay. go ahead. So, in the movie, mm-hmm. um, it's it's this group of people. It's this father and son, and a couple of women, and right. then this 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 man. This so it's like a quintet of people that make it out of this store alive. And they get in this car and they're driving away through the mist. I think, if I'm recalling correctly, the car runs out of gas. The, yeah, the, the car, yeah, like runs out of gas. The mist kind of starts approaching with this sound. Well, yeah, and 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 you can hear stuff there, mm-hmm. and, and, it's based, and ultimately, they decide that the the father should mercy kill everybody mm-hmm. in the car, yep. and they they cut away, and you see muzzle flashes in the car, and it cuts back to the car, and it's just him there, and. Ten seconds after he does that, the mist starts to clear, mm-hmm. and you see these army trucks rolling up, yep. and there are these corpses of monsters all over the landscape, and these dudes with flamethrowers, and it's like, he mercy killed them when he didn't have to. Yep. Because the sound that they heard, because yeah. again, in this shopping center where they were, they had been hearing stuff that, you know, there's this impending doom, so as they're in this truck driving off the mist is coming they're hearing all these noises that they cannot identify they're terrified mm-hmm. yeah <laughs> and so and and the last scene is this father who's just murdered his son yep and all these other people who were not bad themselves right and he's just he falls to his knees and 
screams, and he's obviously never going to be the same. And then they roll the credits. Yep. <laughs> I was furious. I yep. was absolutely furious. And and I and I don't know if this is true or not. I probably should have before I started talking to you, but I've actually heard that Stephen King really liked the end. Interesting. And again, I probably should have researched this, but man, who does things like that? <laughs> so yeah, that yeah. sounds like a job for a journalist. Boo! <laughs> but in the book, it's very different. Okay, yeah. So what happens in the book? You so so it's it, it's kind of the same thing. They they make it out um, with this limited group of people, mm-hmm. and and one of the things that that makes the story cool. Um, and they cut, and they do this pretty well in the in the movie too. Um, is that when they're in the grocery store, there's this woman who's this like really hyper religious lady, and she starts basically convincing everyone that it's the end times. Of course, you know we need to do X, Y, and Z because then A, B, and C will happen, and blah mm-hmm. blah blah. Gets everybody all, you know, drinking the, the theoretical Kool Aid and everything, and right. so they're trying to deal with that too. And 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 it's basically they're trying to escape monsters. Within and monsters without, mm-hmm. and they and they both do a pretty good job of that. But when they get out in the book, the last couple of pages are this guy, this narrator, describing how as they continue driving through this mist, mm-hmm. they don't know where they're going. They're just driving. Right. He listens to a radio. He listens to this this like ham radio. Mm-hmm. And he can hear a word every once in a while, just like a hmm. single word. And I think it's like Hartford, which is in Connecticut. Right. It's just, it's, it's that word Hartford and he just keeps hearing it. And it's, it keeps him coming back and listening because they're looking for a sanctuary. They're looking for right, a place right. to land, to lay their head after this horrific experience. And it's ultimately the, it's, it's this ending after this really, really dark story, this horrific story, and you're left with, okay, maybe they make it. There's this oh, really, okay. there's this real sense of hope. There's no actual resolution. Like they find a place and everything's fine. Right. It's maybe you can kind of make it up in your head. Um, it's the same thing at the end of the second Alien movie, where mm-hmm. Ripley and Newt and Hicks all go back into hypersleep. And it's like they know that it's a long shot. Yeah, of getting picked up. They, they, they knew just they're just like this is our one shot. But we're gonna we take have it. to take and, it. And yep. you're like, you know what? Maybe they. they I, I bet you they. May. You kind of make it up in your own mm-hmm. head. And I with the mist. And so to have this movie just the ending just turned a full 180 like that. Hmm. It, it, I just I was I mean I saw it with. My girlfriend, now wife, and my sister-in-law to be, and they were like concerned about me when we were going out. I was so mad. Right. Was like, that was not the miss. No. That was not the miss. That was like the that was like ninety-eight percent the miss, two percent disaster. Mm-hmm. That just poisoned everything. And there are other parts, and you know, there's a couple other cheesy CGI parts in it. But they're forgivable. Right. It's like, whatever, that's fine. I can deal with it. That was a budget thing as opposed to a creative decision. Yeah. And it just, I, I did not like that 
because it re- it completely changes the story. The story goes from there's this little glimmer of hope after this horrific dark mm-hmm. thing that you experienced to this is a Macbeth story. Right. Fate had you in its crosshairs the whole time, mm-hmm. and now you're going to be psychologically warped and depressed and sad the rest of your life <laughs> because of this horrible thing that you've done. Right. You know? Hmm. And timing could, you know, just, it, I just, I hated it. It left me depressed and I hated it. There, there you go. So, uh, while you were talking, as I was listening, I found an article from 2007 uh, where they interviewed Stephen King about The Mist. This is his exact quote. Frank, the screenwriter, director of The Mist. Frank Darabont. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Frank. Frank wrote a new ending that I loved. It is the most shocking ending ever, and there should be a law passed stating that anybody who reveals the last five minutes of this film should be hung from their neck until dead. So... <laughs> okay, Steve King. Yeah. Okay, so I, was, so I wasn't wrong. Okay, he, he did like it. And wow. again, like this is just the first... I just Googled it. This is the first article. So if somebody is listening and they go on Snopes or whatever and they find out something different, sure, send it in. Uh, but for right now, that was, that was a quote that I saw. And That's incredible. Yeah. That, that, that is so incredible to me. If I... I mean, if I had written that story, I would. The mist, for all its darkness, is really it's a, it's a story about hope and and keeping hope in dark times. And that movie was not <laughs> about. That's not what it was about. Okay, so that I mean, yeah, the hope and the dark times of the mist, and I can definitely see why you were angered at that ending, considering how different it was from the book that you were expecting, even though the author. Maybe not signed off on it. Sound like he did not know about it until it happened. Mm-hmm. But that is a dramatic shift. It and it, to to hear you read that quote just now, <laughs> what he actually said. Uh-huh. Like, that that's that stuns me. That's incredible to me. I mean, like you know, good on him for being a good sport. But just that's that's not that's not the story. That's not the story that I love. Yeah. <laughs> it's, so, yeah. Absolutely. And the cool. reason that it's bad instead of ugly is the rest of the movie's okay. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That, that the ending just sours. All, all it took was that 2%. Mm-hmm. All it takes. Yep. So my pick for a bad book-to-movie adaptation is 2007's I Am Legend. So... Again, good choice. <laughs> so this one... I loved this book, and they do an audiobook of this that is tremendous. Uh, I think I found it on Audible years ago or something. Uh, so the basic story of this, in the book, and the book came out, uh, it was written by Richard Matheson in like 1954. Yeah. Uh, it was actually the basis. Really ahead of its time. Oh, way ahead of its time. It was actually the basis for Night of the Living Dead. Mm-hmm. Like, we would not have a lot of these post-apocalyptic zombie-type situational movies without this book. Mm-hmm. Which brings me to the biggest, most frustrating difference between the book and the movie. In the book, 1954, the main character, uh, Robert Neville, he is against vampires, not zombies. So, in the book... The book does a phenomenal job 
of setting this scene of he is the last person alive that he knows about, the last human. And at like during the day, he goes hunting, he you know, goes hunting for supplies, goes to the library, you know, gets books. He's trying to research a cure for this vampirism. And then also the other thing he does during the day is make sure his house is Fort Knox. And he does this every day because every night the vampires come out. And his neighbor, his old neighbor, the other difference, these vampires remember everything. Like they, it was, they can talk. Like they were characters. Mm-hmm. And so every night in the book, his neighbor is in front of his house screaming, come out, Neville. Come out. Yep, I and that. Neville just sits in his house. He puts on his records, puts on his headphones, gets drunk. And this happens every night. The book cycles between this dystopian view of humanity. Of He has days where he is like, okay, it's fine. I'm doing great. My house repairs are doing well. I had some success with this experiment I was doing, blah, blah, blah. So then days where he is pill popping, where he does not leave his house for days, he is drunk. I mean, it just, it goes into dark, dark places. It really balances, because I've, I've read the book too, it really mm-hmm. balances the big picture and the small picture. Yes, absolutely. Really well. Like, it, 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 it's very big in the dystopian front, but it's also very intimate in terms of you getting to know who Robert Neville is through his actions and what he does and stuff like that. Yeah, and so with the movie, when they announced this movie, because there have been four, count them four, versions of this book made into a movie. Mm-hmm. All of them are terrible. Vincent uh, Price. Vincent Pri- which, which is a shame, because Vincent Price is great. Mm-hmm. Uh, they did one with Casper Van Dien. Which, <laughs> really? Oh, yeah. Yeah, it was, it was real bad. They did one with uh, Charlton Heston, too. Right, so oh, uh, Omega Man was, was mm-hmm. that one. So they have tried this a few times. But I'm focusing on the 2007 version because it was the biggest kind of blockbuster. Uh, it had a chance. It had a chance to be good. But when you take a movie like this, and I call it the castaway complex, when you take a movie and for 80% of the movie, you should only be focusing on one person, that takes a strong performance, not just by that one person, but if you're counting on the scenery, if you're counting on the atmosphere, all of those things to play a part, mm-hmm. this movie fails because the villains are these weird zombie creatures that also cannot come out during the day for some unknown reason. Mm-hmm. And it just... In their CGI, too. Yeah. They made and them all seed they made them really bad CGI. And this is two thousand seven CGI. I mean I, I that was the most frustrating thing for me about this movie was that CGI. Yeah. Why not just you know, put a little makeup on some people and have them run? I, I don't I don't know. It but that was a frustrating thing. Yeah, it was and so again, th- this is this was the first thing that came to my head when I came up with my definition of these good, bad, ugly, book-to-movie, this by itself, if you take away the book, is a decent zombie action movie. It has its moments. It has its moments. If I could separate it, I might really enjoy this movie. I cannot separate it. Right. 
And the reason that this is bad, the biggest reason to me is not just the vampires and zombies, because I can understand. That is a tough thing to work with. Sure, I can concede that. The biggest thing that this movie lacks, that the, that the book nailed, the whole time Robert Neville is surviving, the rest of what we know of the planet, the vampires have now become the predominant species. Mm-hmm. So the title, I Am Legend, plays a huge part because now there are these kids who are told stories when they go to bed of like, you know, be careful. If you're not good, the monster is going to come and get you and blah, blah, blah. That is Will Smith's character, or that should be Will Smith's character, Robert Neville. Because in the book, any vampire he sees during the day, he kills. So the whole time the book is leading up to this moment where he finally has a revelation. He he is is the legend. He is the monster in the closet. It really does flip the the switch. Mm -hmm. Like That is tremendous. And the movie destroyed that the movie gives you a happy ending they made two endings there is another one about <clears> the <throat> director's cut mm-hmm. they made two endings both of which just angered me because he never has that realization because in the movie he finds other humans or humans find him and blah 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 and it just that that feeling was just not there and that was what bothers me with these book to movie adaptations is if that feeling, that core fundamental thing, is different? Come on. Right. Like, well, and, and I don't understand their thinking in taking the, 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 the monsters and having them be these intelligent beings who talk mm-hmm. and are actual characters, like you said, and turning them into these, they're, they're, they're faceless creatures. Yeah. They, they all have the same look, the same draggled clothing and it, it's just there, there's no there's no personality to them beyond the fact yep. that they run fast and they roar you know yeah and and I, I and that was a huge part of the book is that he has conversations with these things sometimes yeah i mean again he has to listen to them every night they try and get right. into his house they try and like he is having to deal with that every day and he is not in this. Like, he goes out during the day, and, like, there are tense moments in this movie mm-hmm. when he goes out, and, of course, the scene with the dog, which is brutal. But when he's that's, going... That, that's, that is a very sad scene. I'm glad you brought that up, because I was going to mention that, as they, yeah. they did that scene really well, uh, too well, unfortunately. Right, and he kind of talks about that, from what I remember in the book, is, like, he was like, I tried, you know, having an animal, but it was too stressful. You know, because it was just like that is one other life that he is responsible for. And Mm -hmm. yeah, the other thing that I would recommend, they didn't, they made a graphic novel of this. Uh, IDW put it out and it was great. I mean, like it was almost dialogue for dialogue, book to graphic novel. The whole graphic novel was in black and white, which set the tone perfectly yeah, I, I highly recommend that. That was actually check that out. yeah, it was Steve Niles and Elman Brown. Oh, perfect. Oh, better. Yeah. Oh, he's oh yeah. So <laughs> that, that was two thousand three when that graphic novel came out. So that just yeah, that I, that movie really really frustrated me. <laughs> yeah, you know the the dog scene is good, and then there's another scene where he talk to the mannequin. And he, yeah, 
Yep. He has that realization that it's a mannequin. Because he goes in, he goes into he, that same video store every day. <laughs> and, he, and he basically is like, please say hello to me just yeah. over and over again. And he's just, and he's in tears. And I think that was actually after the dog dies is when he does that, isn't it? From I don't remember the dog being in that scene, but it, it could be. But yes, that was definitely a moment that had you, that gave those feelings of the book, of that yeah. depression, of that survivor guilt of just like, this is a mannequin, and he knows it is a mannequin, but he is kind of going crazy, and he's just like, just he he is so desperate for right. a connection. And it, and it's an it's an interesting um, it, it's really an interesting moment too. I mean, it's an incredibly sad moment, but it's an interesting moment in that you realize just how crucial relationship is, mm-hmm. and in connections with other people, and and being around other people, even if it's just a at work and saying hi at the at the vending machine or something like that. I mean, he doesn't have any of it. Yeah, it, it just and I I can't imagine being in a world like that. So the, there are a couple of moments where they really nail it, but it but it's just it's like too little, too late almost. Yeah, you know? exactly. Because again, it is missing that element of that extra piece of mm-hmm. hearing these people that he knew, his neighbor, right. people he went to church with. You know, like. All of these things, like they are still, a lot of them are still alive. The people who survived the disease in the book, because not everyone did. And some of them, they, they had this giant uh, pit where they dumped all the bodies and caught them on fire. Um, so it just, yeah. And there are moments with his wife in the book that are incredible. Uh, when he finally meets what he thinks is another human in the book, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And he takes her in, and he's just so excited. Oh, spoiler alert! She is also a vampire because they have now started. They're building their society, and so they started taking medication that allows them to go in the sunlight because they are the predominant species on the planet. Mm-hmm. They're now surviving and doing what humans do survive. Mm-hmm. And he is the one taking that away. Tremendous, tremendous book. A yeah. tremendous audiobook, tremendous graphic novel, terrible movie, <laughs> book to yeah. movie adaptation. Yeah, it, it it was a it was a wasted opportunity. I mean they they had they had a lot of the pieces just right in front of them. Yep, they were kind of like meh, and just swatted them away. Pretty much. All right, so that was those were our bad book to movie adaptations. Now to the one that I think a lot of people are waiting to hear, which are the ugly. Book to movie adaptations. So, how about I go ahead and lead this one off? You can go ahead and go first, please. Uh, this movie is very recent, as in two. Geez, was it two years ago? One year ago? The Hobbit: The Battle of the Five Armies, the third of the new Hobbit trilogy. Hey, I thought about putting. Well, I thought about putting all three uh, <laughs> in there. But I was like, you know what, let me just choose the worst book-to-movie adaptation. And by leaps and bounds, it is this third movie. Interesting. Like, this movie is hot garbage. Like, it takes... Okay, here's the thing. Peter Jackson made three incredible movies before this. Fellowship, Two Towers, Return of the King. Based off of three books. Even in the extended versions of those movies which are close to four hours on some of them, 
he still left stuff out. And, right. and that is okay. He recognized I cannot put in everything as much as I love to. With The Hobbit, the shortest book, the, the least dense book, the book that anybody can read. Most of us read it in elementary school. We were six, yeah. Mm-hmm. He takes, or not he, the studio, took that book, just like you're talking about the novella, they take one book and made three bloated, unnecessary, CGI-laden disasters. And it just, they frustrated me more and more as I went to the theater and watched each of them. And, and, that, and that's why I said it was interesting that you chose Battle of the Five Armies, because the, the first two, I am on board with you. Like, I thought that they were, just, I, I was not impressed. I was, mm-hmm. I was very underwhelmed. I was bored. Yeah. A lot of the time it was, it was boring. Like, actually I was like, okay, can I, can we go? Can this end? You know? Yeah. But I, f- I felt like Battle of the Five Armies kind of, maybe it was because I could see the finish line. <laughs> I think that plays a part in it. <laughs> I, I, I didn't, I guess I didn't think this one was so bad. I thought it had its. I thought it had a couple of moments that were that were pretty good. Um, so, so let me throw out a couple moments to to see if these are the moments that uh, you think are good. Because if so, okay. we're going to fight. Okay. So, <laughs> Legolas <laughs> jumping wait. off of rocks that are falling from a bridge. No, not that part. Good. All right. Uh, when the penultimate battle starts, and you have these giant worms that come through the ground. Didn't understand that either. That then disappear completely from the battlefield. <clears throat> so, no, uh, another one, when Azog, who is Manu Bennett behind all of the crazy amounts of CGI, is... Oh, our, oh the, the Arzog. Okay. Yeah, Arzog is fighting Thorin, and why... Like, he has this stone hand thing that does not really... Doing like the movie is a mess. Okay, I, I now that you've brought those points up, I, I definitely get. It. So I think that the moments for me that made me deluded enough to thinking it was okay. <laughs> uh huh. There, there's a scene where Thorin is basically he he is sick. He is dragon madness or dragon yeah, dragon madness. He, mm-hmm. He's he's actually mentally ill with this affliction and he's, and he basically has this realization in the mountain Mm -hmm. that he's gone mad and he is like, what have I done? Basically. Mm -hmm. I really liked that scene. I thought that that was actually done pretty well. um, So so two minutes out of a movie that is over two hours. (laughs) (laughs) that's what i'm saying like it had it had moments and and i i thought that and this it was in the the first installment too um i thought that the relationship between bilbo and and, um and thorin was was actually okay in terms of its development it was Mm. it was like c plus like yeah, I, Good enough. I, I will give you it know? that in the first one, but mm-hmm. that is the problem with all three of these Hobbit movies. Nobody really develops. Like, the only person with kind of an arc is Thorin when he kind of goes crazy and has some hallucinations. Right. But that is about 
it. Well, and the, and I and and the difficulty comes in that they have double digit numbers. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah, wars in their party. So well, and then you know there was that there's that whole like love story. Terrible. <laughs> yeah, that was that was bad. That was really bad. So okay, I, in in fairness, I concede that as a whole, mm-hmm. it is not good. That there there are. And and I had this, and I had the same thing happen when I watched Man of Steel. There are a couple of of moments in that movie where it's like, why didn't you latch on to that? Seriously, why didn't, why didn't you latch on to that feeling? Why didn't you know j- just how Russell Crowe's portrayal of Jor-El, or when he first learns to fly, are like the two that stand out. Mm-hmm. Like when he first learns to fly, that feeling that I got from that scene is what I wanted. Yeah. That is what I wanted. I wanted. I wanted just. I wanted Superman, yep. and the rest of the movie wasn't Superman. Yep. Just wasn't. And this, the same thing happens here. And yet, like, this is this isn't the Hobbit. You could have done the Hobbit in one one really movie. Good. Do a one Peter Jackson three hour movie, and we would have loved it. With it, this one, it's it just like it is tough. Like because again, we compare it. He already made three movies in this world. So when he knew he was making three more, the comparisons between Return of the King, the last movie that he did in this world, to then the end of this, the Battle of the Five Armies, is awful. Like, mm-hmm. Return of the King, I think, I mean, the whole way that they made those movies, and people, there are so many stories about how ridiculous and how painful it was to physically make these movies. They were in the rain, they were in the mud, they were in these suits, like, the they anger filmed for, they filmed for a year and a half. Yeah, just straight. Like the anger that you see on the orcs' faces, you ha- you can watch interviews of those actors. They were like, they could not dry our suits from the day before. So that morning, they're putting on wet, damp, oh. smelly armor, and you see it. Like you see just like how angry they are in yeah. this movie. It is a CGI nightmare. It is. And it feels just, it just, ugh, it is way too glossy. It feels fake. And so it just, it totally took me out of the world. I've, you know, and I've, I've actually heard this, uh, this discussed before in that, and this is even in the original trilogy, as, mm-hmm. as the movies progress, CGI becomes more relied upon. Yeah. I mean, in Fellowship of the Ring, I don't. I mean, but for the beginning where it shows Sauron in in the battle where he where mm-hmm. he falls, but for that, I don't think that there is that. Oh, and then the mines. Well, I mean, yeah, the, the mines of Moria, Moria but, you know, but, the Balrog, but but, but 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 for those two scenes, I don't think there's much CGI other than that. Like a lot of it is is practical effects, live action. Yep. I mean, you know, they have to do the green screen for you know Rivendell and 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 stuff like that, right. but. But, but those make sense. Yeah. <laughs> this but, one, the CGI, everyone was too shiny. Like, everyone was too glossy. It just, yeah, just did not feel real. Whereas the original trilogy, mm-hmm. it felt like a documentary. Like, it felt like you were there the whole time. Well, and he and he actually even made mention of that. I should say that this trilogy was, like, that close to being my good the, yep. the original, the original Lord same, of the Rings. Same with me, but then I was like, "Oh no, too much Lord of the Rings." <laughs> it, yeah, exactly. So, um, and, and 
he had he has said on multiple occasions that when I made this movie, I wanted it to give a sense of you felt like it was historic. Like yep. showing these monuments, showing these castles, these battlefields, these worlds. I wanted you to feel like it was a place that you learned about in history class mm-hmm. as opposed to some fairy tale that I made up. I wanted it really grounded in how it looked. And he does. I mean, there's this. I'll never forget the scene at the end of Fellowship of the Ring where Frodo, and he puts on the ring and he takes it off again and he falls mm-hmm. off of some destroyed monument out in the middle of the woods. And it's just these pieces of stone that used to be this this statue or something thousands of years before. Just little details like that. Yeah, because it, they, it, it was practical. Like yeah. the way that they did things, it was, yeah, it just, it there was a sense of, of the willing suspension of disbelief in the first one was pretty minimal. Mm-hmm. With this one, nothing felt dangerous. Like when you see the hobbits literally bouncing, or the dwarves, sorry, dwarves literally bouncing through a mine hundreds right. of feet down and no one has a scratch. Whereas in the, original, yeah, in the original trilogy, like when Aragorn is in a fight, I mean, you're like, he might die. Like mm-hmm. it was just, it felt real. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, they, they they definitely abandoned the the rawness of the original trilogy for sort of a campier, com- more more comical feel. And yep. I, and I I'm, I'm not quite sure. Did they do that to because they think it would be more accessible? I who yeah. knows? Like, like I the just Suicide I Squad reshoots or whatever, and right, just put more humor in it. Yeah, that that will and fix this t- movie. And then tell everybody that we're putting more humor in it. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, yeah, but um, no, I, I agree. As as a whole, it, it was pretty underwhelming for me in yep. almost every way. There you go. So that was my ugly. Specifically, it could be all three of the Hobbit movies, but specifically Battle of the Five Armies. What is your ugly booked movie adaptation? So this was a last minute change for me, but I'm really glad that I did it. Ooh, okay. Um, and especially because of the fact that you defined what we were talking about in the beginning of this episode. And it's not necessarily that this is a bad movie. It's just that it's a bad adaptation. Mm-hmm. Ugly adaptation. Yeah, a terrible <laughs> adaptation, yes. I picked the 2005 version of War of the Worlds. Ah, uh, yes. Good starring old Tom, Tom Cruise. <laughs> starring Tom Cruise. The And the reason I chose this... Biggest issue that I have with it, and with frankly the '50s version, which is actually pretty good mm-hmm. otherwise. Yeah, it's set in America in contemporary times. Yep. <laughs> the War of the Worlds is set in Victorian England at the turn of the 18th and the 19th, 19th century. That could have made it stand out so much. The set pieces they could have done with just the, the smokestacks and just this industrial mm-hmm. feel, almost this like, like maybe like a almost steampunk feel, I guess, yeah. because of the of the these like archaic looking machines. That is the biggest problem that I have with this War of the Worlds adaptation is that you're a, it, it's it's War of the Worlds in title only. Yeah. But for that, well, that and the and how the aliens die because they get our germs and stuff. But, but for those two points, everything else is completely different. Yeah. Um, 
it, the sheer scale of the book is lost. I mean, it becomes generic in feel almost. I mean, the it, it not almost it becomes generic. It's like okay, it's another alien invasion movie. Right. I mean, the reason that Independence Day works as a contemporary upgrade, mm-hmm. I guess, if you will, of yeah, the, I, I would agree with that. It, the reason that it works is the scale that comes with it. You have these these ships that are the size of cities that blow up cities. Yeah. No one had Wipe ever them seen, off the map. <laughs> no one had ever seen anything like that before. Ever. I, I remember being 13 and in the in the theater and just thinking, this is the coolest thing I have ever seen. I saw it on, on my 13th birthday with my dad. I will, that is the most memorable theater experience I will ever have, seeing the first Independence Day. With yep. this, it's like, oh, well, aliens are invading. Okay. Um... Yeah. They have these ships, and they're kind of like the ones in the original book because they have the tentacles, and they pick you up and put you in baskets. And <laughs> it's 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 so generic, and it's it's boring, frankly. And also, a significant part of the plot is focused on the, this character that Tom Cruise plays, who's this divorcee who's trying to get back in the good graces with his kids and everything because. Uh, their mom just got remarried. I think she's right. having a baby. No, the book doesn't do this. It's right. just it's this guy who's trying to survive and get from A to B. Mm-hmm. And which they, again, and, I think part of that again, when you think about the time period of the original one, getting from A to B was difficult. Right. It just it, <laughs> it's kind of the same thing with Jules Verne and Around the World in Eighty Days. Mm-hmm. Um, and another thing about this movie is. You really don't see combat that much. With yeah. the, I mean, there are there are scenes where you see like tanks going up a hill and shooting it. Right. You know, something. Yeah, that is but true. I not thought about that. Really man, see, you don't really see like the clash, if you mm-hmm. will. And that is a huge part of these books. I mean, they have the 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 big lasers. They have the black smoke that that suffocates everybody. Mm-hmm. Uh, they, you know, it's 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 a it's a mess. It's a it's a it's real rowdy. And this one, it doesn't really feel like that. It just it it feels very generic. It feels very it just feels very tame, I guess, for what. And then they and they just take oh well, or the worlds will just slap it on there, and people are familiar with it. Yep. They'll come in droves, and I think they did. I think it actually did pretty well. For I mean, it was Tom Cruise. Yeah, Tom, Tom, Tom Cruise, Cruise has not made a financial games. flop. In a while, so you do you put Tom Cruise in an action movie where he can run around, which is he is really good at doing. And was that was that our first exposure to Dakota Fanning? Was she in that one? She was in that. Um, I think that the first exposure I had to her was I Am Sam. She played Sean Penn's kid. Oh, uh, okay. Yeah, that was the first exposure I had to her when I was gotcha. like, She's good. but so ultimately, there is a way to do this story justice. At the same time, it's going to take a lot of effort. Mm-hmm. I mean, you, you have to do it the right way. You should set it in Victorian times. You should invest a lot of money in really cool set pieces, and you mm-hmm. should get the right actors, and you should have an amazing marketing team that can pull it off and, and make it feel like something like you've never seen before. Yeah. The reason this one is just ugly for me is it, it's, it's just missing so much. It's a it's it's a generic alien invasion movie mm-hmm. with War of the Worlds in the title, similar to the Day the Earth Stood Still, the remake with, with Keanu Reeves. Yeah, 
which it had similarities, but it was just like, guys, like, come on. My favorite War of the Worlds story is, I mean, the famous one with the radio broadcast. So on the radio, they're, when, they, yeah. when they serialized this in 1938, <laughs> on the radio, people thought it was real. It was done so well by this mm-hmm. theater group that not even bought the rights. This is before that probably was even a thing. But they, they got the ability to do this as a play, as a radio play. People were glued to their radios and there was mass hysteria because they thought it was a real broadcast. That is tremendous. There was a guy who thought that a water tower in his town was one of the ships. Wow. <laughs> because you've got the prongs yeah. coming down, like the legs and everything. And, and I, yeah. So yeah, if, it, it, if it had captured, if this movie with Tom Cruise had captured any of that realism of being like, oh, okay, maybe, you know, maybe this and this. But yeah, I remember watching the movie and just being like, this is just kind of an odd alien movie, mm-hmm. let alone a War of the Worlds movie. Yeah. Well, and, and, and another thing is the, just the aliens themselves. Yeah. In the book, they're, they're descri- they, they basically are described as being really weird. They're kind of <laughs> right. like, they're, they're kind of like squid with, with beaks, but they kind of look, I, I can't even really describe it, but in, in the movie, they're, they're much more humanoid and just, you know, mm-hmm. when you think of like your typical extraterrestrial right. abduction, that's kind of what they looked like. Um, and, you know, they, they didn't come from Mars. They, they, they were like already under the ground and then there was this lightning storm and they yeah. kind of kick-started them. It was just weird. I don't know. And it, it, yeah, again, it just fell flat for me. And, the, and they, they, they abandoned so much of it, mm-hmm. the original source material. Um, it just, it didn't feel like War of the Worlds to me. Yeah. No, that definitely makes sense. When you talk about characters, and you talk about tone, and you talk about message, just fell flat. Mm-hmm. Excellent. Yep. So now on to our final piece. Now that we have officially done our good, bad, and ugly book-to-movie adaptations, I have a couple honorable mentions. Okay. Well, uh, I have myself. Oh, imagine that. <laughs> <laughs> so my honorable mention for good is a movie I already referenced earlier, which is Return of the King. <laughs> I mean... I think you and I are... Well, you and I are basically tied on this point. <laughs> yeah, yeah, because it just... That movie... It is one of the movies where if it is on TNT or TBS, which is it is on almost every day, on one of those, no matter which part of the movie it is on, for the most part, I will stop and watch. It just... It is incredible. The music in it is great it did like the only one of the only flaws in it is it had about 16 different endings uh i remember sitting in the theater i remember sitting in the theater and like they would go to a scene they would fade out we're like oh okay you go to stand up oh nope here we go and they'll go to another one okay fade go to stand up okay like it seriously that was a critical flaw but Mm -hmm. other than that the combat in this was great. The storyline was great. The character development was great. I mean, this is a... He created... Peter Jackson created one of the best films of our generation. 
Oh, bar none. Absolutely. But all, all three of those movies. Um, and they're, they're kind of like, I would almost liken them in a way to the Dark Knight trilogy, and just in that where one is flawed in a certain way, another is strong in yep. that way. So they all kind of lean on each other, and, yep. and just as, as a whole package, it's, it's just it's magnificent. I mean, there's a reason that they swept the Academy Awards that yep. year. It tied for most uh, wins. I mean, which was like, I think a 10 or 11. Yeah. Like that is. It was 11. They, they won 11. Games. 11. Like that is crazy. So it is not just one of the movies that like the geeks will rise again. And we love this movie. Like everybody, everybody. loved this movie, these movies, mm-hmm. and particularly this one. Like it was a perfect into a trilogy. All of us were begging after this, or the, you know, the huge Tolkien fans were begging for like, okay, can they do Hobbit? Can they do the Silmarillion? Mm-hmm. But we were okay not having it because we just had nine hours of beauty. And then we got what happened next. So that, yeah. Can you imagine them trying to make the Silmarillion into a movie, though? That, okay, now that book, they need three movies for that. But like, if they really want to go into the Valar. I, I mean, the Silmarillion is basically Middle Earth's, like, Bible. It like is an it's anthology. Old, yeah, it's like Old Testament, you know. Mm-hmm. So I, I don't know. No, the, and now unfortunately they will never do it. Uh, there's also some legal things like the Tolkien estate. I think still they. I think the Silmarillion is the only thing they still hold the rights to. Interesting. And they hate these movies, all six of them. Oh, all all of them. Huh? Uh, because they no longer own the rights. <laughs> So when these movies oh, made oh, a collective like seven billion dollars, that makes sense. So they own the Silmarillion, and we will never see it. <laughs> nope. Did you ever read um, his son's book that he did? <laughs> I heard about it, but no, I never did. And I didn't either. It looked interesting. I yeah, just, yeah. I never got around to reading it though. It was set in Middle Earth, and it looked like it's kind of a standalone story. It looked cool. Yeah, I just never got around to reading it though. I can't even remember what it was called. Um, yeah. His son Christopher wrote it. I think so. I think. That sounds familiar. But yeah, so that that was my honorable mention for good. Uh, my honorable mention for ugly because this this is a close one. Uh, isn't like I easily could have chosen this one. League of Extraordinary Gentlemen with Sean oh, Connery. <laughs> marvelous. That actually. That went through my head as one. That probably would get an honorable mention of my bad, I, I would say. Yeah. Like that movie, it was atrocious. Not only did it lose a bunch of money, that was Sean Connery's last movie. That was that director's last movie. Like, this movie it pretty much killed some careers. Like, and it was just like, you take the source material, the beautiful, beautiful source material from Alan Moore. Oh, especially those first two volumes. Those first incredible. two volumes. Incredible. Just awesome, and yes, all the world worlds. They yeah, tackled. and all of us know that Alan Moore is kind of crazy. We understand that. We respect that. He denies the existence of this movie. Same with uh, um, V for Vendetta, I think. Well, with this one in particular, mm-hmm. like he just he, yeah. With V for Vendetta, at least he kind of talked about it. This one, he just he never wanted to hear anything about it. Like it is atrocious. Absolutely atrocious. That was my honorable mention for good and ugly. 
That's good. Have you seen um, or watched any of the Penny Dreadful series? No, but I like that is a divisive show in that I hear people who love it and I hear people that hate it. So I'm in the former camp. I actually like it quite a lot. Okay. And I think and what and it, it makes me think of League of Extraordinary. Oh Germans. yeah, no, that they they borrow heavily <laughs> from and, it. And it, it, I think it's like what I wanted to. What I wanted League of Extraordinary Gentlemen to be, essentially. Oh, of course. I mean, I mean, you've got this 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 madcap group of characters that have these really established, strong mythos already, mm-hmm. and you're putting them together. Yeah. And how do they react? And in Penny Dreadful, I think that they do it very well. Well, it is now on Netflix. I saw yeah. it was on there, so I I may give it a shot. I think you I should. saw the first episode when it first came out. And it did not really grab me, but I will, I will check it out. The thing that I like about it the best is that, oh, this should have been my honorable mention. Mm. Anyway, uh, the, 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 the thing that I like about it the best is that it is the best adaptation of the Frankenstein monster that I've ever seen. Wow. Okay. In, it, is the, it is the one I've always wanted. Huh. He, is, he is hateful but he, and, and, and a true monster, but you feel terrible him at the same time wow you hurt for him. okay you really really hurt for him but he's a monster at the same time he's awful he's he's murderous and destructive <laughs> and all things. anyway so so what are what are your honorable mentions okay so um you you already said it with with the good um yeah uh the, the whole lord of the rings trilogy mm-hmm. is um is absolutely tremendous i mean these these are legacy movies uh, yep, absolutely. This, I mean, this is like Peter Jackson could make the most brilliant film ever, and he would. This is what he's going to be remembered for. Still, yeah, he's the guy that brought Middle Earth to the screen in in a successful way, at least for the the first three. And honestly, I, I talked about this earlier with the, the feel of um, the I Am Legend book, but this balances big picture. And little picture mm-hmm. so well, you you get you get the the sense of how huge Middle Earth is with its history and its places and its creatures. I mean, it, it just in terms of the world building that had to go into it, but you also really come to care for the hobbits. Yep, and Aragorn, and every, Gan- like everyone's storyline. There's not a storyline in there that you could kind of cut out. I mean, mm-hmm. because it's like, yes, there are ones that are better than others, of course. There are ones that they left out in the cinematic ones that are only on the extended, like, Faramir story. Um, like, Faramir and Boromir, like, their relationship is expanded in the extended editions. It is incredible. Like, no other movie that I can remember matches this scope. Oh, you without a doubt. Yeah, basically they feel they're massive, but they also feel very intimate at the mm-hmm. same time. They yep. feel very personal, and and this is another thing. This is a very specific detail, but I'm sorry, nobody could have played Gandalf the way Sir Ian McKellen did. Agreed. Nobody. Mm-hmm. He, he he was flawless in that role. He is Gandalf in the way that Johnny Depp is Captain Jack Sparrow. Or Jack Nicholson is or was 
okay, Heath Ledger is the Joker. Um, right. You know, it, it's, it's this, it is this iconic yeah. character that the actor inhabits at the same time. He's kind of like part of the, of the icon. And it's, mm-hmm. yeah, just nobody could have done what he did. He was tremendous in that role. Absolutely agree. My ugly, <laughs> speaking of Jack Nicholson. Oh, boy. Mention, this, is a, this is a controversial one, I think. Uh-huh. I picked The Shining. Which blows my mind. Like, I actually, when I was doing research for this, someone else had mentioned that, like, on some blog. And similar to what I might do, I will say, what? Like, wh- explain that. Like, what? <laughs> so, we talked about earlier how Stephen King really likes the ending of Mist. Right. He hates this movie. Really? He hates it. Let me tell you. What please, please do. <laughs> Since we're doing a Stephen, Stephen King quote along. I can find it. In the meantime, I, I mean, so like that is the, do you remember the ABC, I think it was ABC, like made for TV version of The Shining from like the 90s? Yeah. 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 Was, so here's, here's what he said. This is what Stephen King said. The character of Jack Torrance has no arc in that movie. Absolutely no arc at all. When we first see Jack Nicholson, he's in the office of Mr. Ullman, the manager of the hotel, and you know then he's crazy as a shithouse rat. All he does is get crazier. In the book, he's a guy who's struggling with his sanity and finally loses it. To me, that's a tragedy. In the movie, there's no tragedy because there's no real change. Perfect. And that, for me, is kind of the, the perfect anecdote to the host of issues that I have with this film is that I, I, except for Halloran, who, spoiler alert, dies horribly, Mm -hmm. nobody else in this movie is likable to me. Hmm. I, I, I find myself struggling to feel, um, Anxiety for Shelley Duvall's character, or Interesting. sympathy for Jack Nicholson's character, character, or or uh, Danny, the, the the little boy who plays mm-hmm. Danny. It it doesn't have the same spirit to me as the book. Um, Interesting. And at the same time, it and you know this is something that maybe I need to watch it again and and really be objective about it. Just give it another really solid shot. Right. The way that I remember it is just it it felt that the pacing feels very clunky to me too. It's 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 the classic like and then this happened and then this happened. Oh, uh, okay. Mm-hmm. As opposed to scene setting, scene setting. Mm-hmm. It's just scene, 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 scene. <laughs> right. Um, it doesn't ever really feel like it's building towards something. And the mo- I don't know it it uh, those are the main points. Yeah, it, no, I, I, can I, I, I know this is unpopular. I know that this is that this is very entrenched in the lexicon when it comes to the horror community. Um, it's on greatest lists all over the mm-hmm. place, but it it just does not do it for me when compared to the book. But more importantly, 
it is not on the greatest list, which we have now come up with on this episode. Because <laughs> again, that might be an example of, of a great movie. It is a classic movie. It is on top 100 lists all the time. Mm-hmm. But as a sheer book-to-movie adaptation, when you talk about Honor Thy Creator, if you have the creator saying he hates it, that could be a sign you have a problem. Right. Well, and, you know, you could make the argument of, well, get over it. But it's like, get over it? Really? Right. I mean, th- this is like, this is his baby, mm-hmm. essentially. I mean, it, you and I, we we felt the same way. I, I'm sure that you felt the same way I did watching Batman versus Superman in that these are characters who we have a very special place for. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. We love them. We love Batman. We love Superman. We love what they stand for. Mm-hmm. And to watch the studio turn Batman into the Punisher and Superman into the emo Batman, basically. <laughs> Interesting. It, yeah. It, it it's it, it's a tragedy. It, it's it, it's like watching a kid break your break your toys, your favorite toys in front of you. Right. Then set them on fire and kind of shrug and walk away. And I, and I kind of get the same sense that, that Stephen King felt the same way about this movie with regard to Kubrick. And this is not a knock on Kubrick. 2001 is an awesome movie. Yep. Um, Dr. Strangelove, awesome movie. Just, I could go on, but he, he, he obviously, I mean, we've, we've all seen the resume. Christopher Nolan adores Kubrick. Mm-hmm. Um, but this one... Just, I take issue with because yeah. the book is entirely it has an entirely different feel to it. Um, but yeah, like I said, maybe I need to give it another watch. Maybe I'd feel differently. But as it stands now, it just it falls flat. <laughs> totally understandable. Interesting. Yeah. All right, so that was our massive good bad and ugly book to movie adaptations. Uh, Ryan, if people want to uh, yell at you on the internet <laughs> over your choices, would you like to tell them where they can find you? <laughs> yeah, sure. You can find me on Twitter. I'm at, uh, at Ryan, and then P-F-E-I-L. Uh, my last name is File. Um, so yeah, if you want, we can talk <laughs> about it. And like I said, maybe I'll change my mind. But yeah, we're about now. Chances are slim. And as for this podcast about to review, you can find it on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at about to review. If you think we missed a good, bad, or an ugly book to movie adaptation, you can send me an email to about to review at gmail.com. I always love hearing listener feedback uh, and suggestions for you know, episodes like we did today or future episodes. So I I am down for that. Let me know what you guys think. Uh, We're also on iTunes at About to Review. If you leave a five-star review, then I will gladly read it out loud. Uh, Ryan has been trying to leave a review on iTunes for a while now (laughs) and has has been unsuccessful. So, you know, I I work in newspapers, so that... Say, say, right. say that again, news, news popper. You kids in your technology, I just don't understand it. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> uh, 
so there you go. This has been about to review. I have been your host, that guy named John. Thank you, Ryan, for being on. Oh yeah, this was fun. Thanks for having me. Yeah, and I definitely, I, I think we, we have some other ideas for future episodes. So this is not the last time you will hear Ryan. So, <laughs> so for that, we will see you next time. <laughs>